You always know you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is at work when people are talking less about men and more about Jesus. And I love the fact this morning that our attention has been turned to the Lord Jesus. You don't know me. I don't know most of you. But I'll tell you the one thing I'd like for you to know. I love the Lord Jesus. I do love him. He's changed my life. And I'm not traveling for my health. And certainly not because I like being away from home. I'm traveling, trying to tell people that Christ makes all the difference. I want you to open your Bible with me, if you will, in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. If you were in the early hour, you know right where we're going. I want you to find Hebrews chapter number 12. It follows perhaps one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible, Hebrews chapter number 11. And I love Hebrews 11. I don't want to disparage it at all because we need it all. All the pieces here connect. But I think sometimes we get stuck in Hebrews 11 and we don't get to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 has been called the hall of faith. And it is a hall of faith. And if you walk down the hall, walk down the hall, you'll see lots of pictures, lots of portraits of people like Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Moses' parents. And there's quite a, quite a hall there Quite a litany of pictures to look at. But can I remind you that halls always lead somewhere? That you don't go to live in the vestibule. That the vestibule, the hall, is an entryway into something much greater than that. When you come to Hebrews chapter 12, oh, I like this. Would you like to know where the hall of faith leads you? It leads you to Jesus. In fact, you can glance, go ahead, glance at Abraham for a minute if you like, and glance at Moses, and glance at the men and women of faith in Hebrews 11, but don't stay in the hallway. Can you imagine living your whole life in the vestibule of the house? Get beyond that. Come on into the great room with me. Would you come to the great room? Because in the great room, there's a picture like, I'm telling you that you've never seen a picture like this before. And when you get to that picture, you don't need to give it a passing glance. You need to gaze on it. Look at Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And I want you to read the first statement of verse 2 out loud with me, church. Ready? Here we go. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. He begins this chapter by saying, listen to the witnesses, but oh, very quickly, very quickly, in the second verse, he gets to the great message, and it is this, don't just listen to the witnesses, look to Jesus. In fact, I've marked in my Bible, would you do this? I've marked in my Bible in verse 1 the word seeing. We see the witnesses, oh yes, we see them. We see lots of things and lots of people and lots of events in Scripture. But when you come to verse number 2, he uses this word looking. It is, it's an intentional word, and it's an intense word. Look, you don't just give a passing thought to Christ. God forbid. No, no, you fix your gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In fact, the word looking, looking unto, it's a directional word. It literally means, look at me please, it literally means to take your eyes off of one thing and fix it on another. To look away from and unto. She was a sweet lady, kind Christian woman by the name of Helen. And at midlife, she went blind. Awful to lose your sight. A few years ago, I had an eye doctor that told me, he said, he was looking at me. I hate going to the eye doctor. Anybody else hate going to the eye doctor? I hate the whole one or two test. I can never pass that. I don't ever know which one's the best. And they get right in your face, you know, and feel their breath. Of course, now you've got mask at least. That's good. But I had an eye doctor tell me, he was giving me an eye exam, and right in the middle of the exam, he said, mm. I thought, that doesn't sound good. I said, problem? And he said, well, I think you've got a little issue here. He said, he said you want the good news or the bad news? And I said, whatever. He said, well, the good news is I don't think you'll ever go completely blind. Well, that's nice. And he said, the bad news is, he said, I think you have a little situation here where you're probably going to progressively lose your eyesight throughout life. I lived with that for a year. For a year, I went back to the same eye doctor for a regular exam, and he looked at it, and he said, everything looks great. And I said, well, what about what you told me last year? He said, you know, he said, I think I was wrong about that. I got a different eye doctor, you know. But I'm going to tell you, you don't appreciate some things until you think you're about to lose them. And all that year, I was thinking about what I was seeing, what I was looking at, how, how precious that was to me. Could there be a day that I can't see that, I, I can't behold that? And, and Helen, she lost her sight. You know, sometimes blind people see more than seeing people. They really do. People like Fanny Crosby who wrote great hymns. Well, Helen was one of those people. She had a spiritual insight. She, she saw the Lord, not in some spooky mystical ways, but through the, through the lens of the Word and through the eyes of faith, she had fixed her attention on God. When she lost her sight, her husband left her. Can you imagine? So you lose your sight, you lose your husband. She came across a piece that had been written about fixing your gaze upon Christ and concentrating on Him. And out of that, Helen sat down one day and wrote a hymn. Maybe you've heard it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. She's the one who wrote it. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I fear that right now in our world, most people have their attention fixed on the wrong thing. We're watching the 24-hour news cycle seven days a week. Anybody else sick of it yet? We're concentrating on government leaders and men and women that we think are powerful people. We're looking at the economy. We're watching the stock market. We're wondering about the future. I want to say to you, get your eyes off of all of that and look to Jesus. You see, Hebrews 11 may describe faith, but Hebrews 12 defines it. You can read Hebrews 11 and see this description of faith illustrated in the lives of these great men and women of faith. But when you come to Hebrews 12, would you like a real definition of faith? Let me give you a Bible definition. It's not my definition. It's a Bible definition. It's right there. Mark it in your Bible. Hebrews 12, verse number 2. It is looking unto Jesus. That's what faith is. Faith is keeping your eyes on who Christ is. <laughs> and let me just tell you, 
It's the only thing that's going to keep you from losing your sanity and losing your peace in the midst of a world of chaos and conflict. We're surrounded by so much mess. Honestly, the world's lost its mind. Anybody else honestly watched things and people in recent days and thought, what's happened to our country? and what's, what's happening to our world? Well, let me tell you, I don't know the answers to all of that, but I know this answer for God's people, and it is this. If you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will keep you. What does it mean to look to Jesus? Let me give you just a handful of thoughts, and they all come right here from our text, all of them from the same portion of the Bible. Would you write them down somewhere? And I want you to write them down because I want you to do something when the meeting's done. I want you to go back and meditate on this passage. I, look, I don't care if you remember my name. I don't care if you remember my outline. But I want you to remember the truth because I want you to think on these things this week. Here's the first one. Would you write this down? Looking unto Jesus is better than looking at the best men. Remember we said Hebrews is a book of better things and Christ is better. Well, let me just tell you, looking to Jesus is better than looking at the best men. I know some good men. I really do. And some good women. But you know what I've discovered? The closer you get to people, the more of their flaws you see. You ever hear the old adage, everybody's better from a distance? It's just true. I mean, we admire people. We get enamored with people. We get taken with people. You ever met somebody that you admired from a distance, and once you talked to them for about five minutes, thought, you know, that person's not what I thought they were like at all. The reality is that's true of all of us. And the nearer you get to a man, it doesn't matter who the man is, it could be the best man, but the nearer you get to a man, the more of his frailty and failures and flaws and, excuse me, humanness you're going to see. Oh, but the closer you get to Jesus, the more of his beauty and perfection and glory and holiness and wisdom and strength. You see, the nearer you get to Christ, it's not repulsive. No, it is even more attractive because Christ is better than the very best men Do you know what the middle verse of the Bible is? Would you like to know? The middle verse of your Bible. Now, stay with me. Hold your place in Hebrews. We're coming right back just for fun, all right? Just for fun. This one's extra. Go in your Old Testament to the Psalms for just a moment. The Psalms is right at the heart of the Bible. In fact, if you open your Bible, unless you've got a lot of study helps in the back, you're going to be right in the middle if you're in the Psalms. And the middle verse of the Bible, right, center in the middle of our Bible, is this verse, Psalm 118 and verse 8. And I don't think there's any accident to this at all because here it is in the heart of the Bible and it is the heart of the Christian message. Look at Psalm 118 and verse number 8. The Bible says, It is better, there's that word again, to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That is a great verse. You might even circle it and write in the margin of your Bible. This is the center of my Bible. This is, the, this is the middle. This is the fixed point of reference. And it's not just the middle of it. I would say it's the whole of it. This is the message. Look away from men and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. You get your attention on men, they're going to disappoint you. You get your attention on groups of people, you're going to get disillusioned. You, look, you can find fault with anybody, anytime, anywhere, and if you think it's just them, I have a terrible secret to tell you, it's you too because we're all sinners. 
There's one who never disappoints, and that is our great God. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And as if that were not enough, look at the next verse. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in who? Huh. Why say it again and this time use the word princes? You know who the princes are supposed to be? The best men. The leaders. The great men. You know what I've discovered? There's only one who's great. His name's Jesus. You all know about me? I'm a dressed up sinner. That's what I am. Tell us about yourself, all right? I'm a black-hearted, hell-deserving, worthless sinner that deserves to be in hell today. But I'm not in hell. And praise his holy name, I'm never going to hell. And do you know why? Not because of me. And not because of some other man. God forbid you think that. No, no, a thousand times no. It is all because of Jesus It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in the best men. On our way back to Hebrews 11, you're traveling back. Stop off in Mark with me just for a minute, would you please? I think maybe you've been studying some in Mark. I'm not sure. Your pastor and I were chatting about it a little bit last night. It's my favorite gospel record. But look at Mark chapter 9. On our way back to Hebrews, just stop off in Mark 9. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they're taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know the story. And Moses and Elijah show up. How many of you would like it if Moses and Elijah showed up for church today? I mean, honestly. So before you get too critical of Peter saying, let's build three tabernacles and stay here a while, let me just tell you, you'd have done the same thing. And come down in Mark chapter 9 to verse number 7. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. That wasn't just any cloud. That's the glory cloud. That's God's presence. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. What's the next two words, church? Hear Him. He didn't say, Hear Moses, the one who delivered the Ten Commandments. He didn't say, Hear Elijah, the man who called down fire from heaven. He said, Look, these are good men, but there's a better man. That's the God man, the perfect man, the, the very Son of God. Here is my beloved Son. Hear him. Look at verse 8. And suddenly, when they looked round about, they saw. No man anymore. Lord, help us get there. Save Jesus only with themselves. You want a great life? I'm going to tell you how to have a great life. You ready for this? Stop living your life fixed or blown away by what the people around you are doing. And instead, look to Jesus. The best men are men at best, and at some point in your experience and your relationship, they will let you down. And you know why there's so many bitter, disillusioned people even around churches today? You know why there's so much root of bitterness and people talking sour and cynical and critical? I'm going to tell you why. Because they have their eyes on men instead of on Jesus. And the only thing that will fix that is if they turn away from those men and fix their gaze on the lovely Son of God. 
Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It's right in the text. Do you see in verse number 1, he says, we see the witnesses. We, we see these good men and women. We look to them for inspiration and instruction, but we don't stop with them. No, no, no. We come to verse 2, and we look to Jesus. And who is he? He is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one writing the story, friends. He's got the pen in his hand. <laughs> He's the one it all started with. He's the one it's all going to end with. Revelation, John said it this way. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last. That's pretty clear, I think. He's the starting point, and he's the ending point. He's the origin, and he's the object. Paul said it this way, of him and through him and to him are all things. And when John said he's Alpha and Omega, you know what that is. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying he's A to Z. If I opened a shop down the street and said this was whatever business from A to Z, a to Z supply company, A to Z office supply, you'd say, I'm saying to you, I have everything. Whatever you need, you can find it here. Oh, don't you love the beautiful sufficiency found in Jesus Christ? Who is he? He is A, he is Z, and he is everything in between. Look to Jesus. And notice what he is. He's our advocate because the Bible says at the end of verse number 2, at this moment, would you like to know where he is right now? He's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'll tell you where he is right now. He's praying for you. Mm. He's praying for me. My wife said to me on the phone a few minutes ago, I'm praying for you this, this morning. That helped me. That helped me. As I've come into the building today, people here have said, we're praying for you. It's meaningful to me. Let me tell you something better than that. Would you like something better than that? If nobody on earth today prayed for me, I have somebody right now praying for me. By the way, he knows how to get his prayers answered too. You want to talk about a prayer partner, you got the best one. At this moment, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says he ever liveth making intercession for us. I love what Robert Murray McShane said. He said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Then he stopped and said, but the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Maybe you can't see him with eyes of flesh, and maybe you can't hear him with these ears, but I'll tell you on the authority of the Word of God today, whoever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's staring you in the face, Jesus Christ, the lovely Son of God, is praying for you at this moment. He's praying for your family. He's praying for this church. He's praying for the deepest need of your life. Look to Jesus. He's better than the best men. Oh, but that's not all. Would you write down a second great truth we learn from this text on faith? And not only is looking to Jesus better than looking to the best men, but secondly, looking to Jesus is better than looking at your worst sin. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. The ugly sin nature we all have. You know, you all dress up really good for church. You look nice. But beneath the surface on all of us, we all have our sin. We come in and we act sometimes pretty religious and pious about it all, but the reality is we're all dealing with our sin because in verse number 1, he talks about the weights and the sin that so easily besets us, the, the things that we excuse and the things that we accept, the, the starting point and where it leads to. We all have that. 
And I'm going to tell you the danger. The danger is that even sincere people can get so fixed on their sin, they miss Jesus. In fact, let me just talk to you for a moment. Sometimes the most sincere people get stuck here. They get bogged down in their past. I'm glad to tell you that Jesus made a way you can get past your past. There is therefore now, look, everybody has a past. Everybody has a past. But there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God doesn't want you to live in the past. God wants you to live in the now. See, our God is a present tense God. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. He said he's a very present help in time of trouble. And when Moses said, what's your name? He did not say, I was. And he did not say, I will be. He said, you tell him I am. That means wherever you are, sir, ma'am, at this moment, the Lord is with you. He knows you better than you know you. You think you know your sin? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord trieth the hearts. Only God truly knows how wicked this preacher's heart is. We get shocked at other people's sins. We ought to be surprised at our own. And the depth of the sin nature that lives inside of us But I want you to know, though you may have to deal with sin in your life, um, there's only one way to have victory, and that is to look beyond that sin to the Christ who is greater than that sin. You know how they train dogs? I watched a fascinating documentary. You've got to be pretty bored to watch that kind of thing, but I did. On how they trained dogs. And I watched a trained dog with a treat dangled right in front of his face. And he never lunged. He never lunged for it. And the person explaining what was going on said, this dog has been trained to look beyond the treat to the master. And as long as the dog fixes his gaze on the master, the treat has no power over him. Watch, please. Are you stuck on some treat? Oh, friend, look beyond that. Look to Jesus. I made a note to myself a moment ago here on the front row. I'd like to write a little article, not really for others, maybe to help somebody, but I'm going to write a little article for me on how not to backslide. I think I need it. Would you like to know how not to backslide? Every day. Look at Jesus. I have a friend that emails me every week. He lives in another country. He may be watching the service today. He keeps up with us and prays for us, and I appreciate him so much. And he has started ending all of his correspondence this way. It was for me. It was for me. I can't get it out of my mind. He said this, walk by Calvary once every day. I like that. I tell you, friend, you walk by the cross You can't always come to the church building, I know that. But you walk by the cross at least once every day and get a glimpse of what sin cost our Lord and what Jesus Christ did to pay for your sin and the power of the cross. And I tell you that those weights and those sins will not have the power over you that they once had. Because looking to Jesus is better than looking at your worst sins. 
There's really two dangers. Look down to verse number five. We didn't read down there, but look at verse number five. There's two dangers. It says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Here's the first danger. The first danger is you can think too little of your sin. That you don't understand how serious it is that God's having to deal with you and God's trying to speak to you. God's trying to get your attention. There's probably somebody in this room today, sin has taken hold of something in your life and you think it's no big deal. But I tell you in the presence of a holy God, every sin is a big deal. And the other danger is the end of verse number 5. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. He says, not only can you think too much of it, or too little of it, you can think too much of it. You can get so consumed with the weight of your sin that you miss the fact that the God who is rebuking you loves you and is merciful and wants to change that in your life. Charles Spurgeon said, great thoughts of my sin lead me to despair but great thoughts of Jesus drive me to the haven of peace. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to live in despair. I want to live in the haven of peace. How do you get there? Look to Jesus. Richard Sibbs, the old Puritan, in a volume that I think everybody ought to have to read called The Bruised Read, said this. This one statement captured me. Oh, I love it. I think it's my favorite in the whole book. Sib said this, There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Any other fellow sinners here today glad about that? Look to Jesus and keep on looking. One more. Looking to Jesus is not only better than looking at the best men and better than looking at your worst sin. But number three, would you write down, looking to Jesus is better than looking at life's greatest pain. Life is full of pain. Especially for a follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to be adversity, there's going to be affliction, there's going to be persecution, and there's going to be problems. Job said, man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. There is no painless way to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, if you read again the stories in Hebrews 11, you know what you're going to see? A lot of affliction, a lot of suffering, and a lot of endurance. And then when you come to the ultimate example in chapter 12 of Jesus, everybody look with me at verse 2 again. He has to endure the cross. He has to despise shame. (laughs) In verse 3, he has to endure the contradiction of sinners against himself. I like this expression, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Look, this is not the time to be weary and quit and give up. No, no, this is the time to fix your gaze back on the loveliness of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go back to verse number one, that word patience, I don't like that word. Do you like that word? I don't like it because I get under conviction about it. He said you've got to run your race with patience. We usually think of patience as a passive thing, like, well, I'm just going to wait. But actually, the word patience here is not a passive word. It's an active word. It does not mean wait. It means persevere. Could I say to every child of God listening to me right now, this is not the moment for Christians to shift it into neutral and hope to coast into glory. This is the moment to put the pedal to the metal and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to finish strong and roll into glory looking to Jesus. Let me tell you the first thing you're going to see when you leave this world. Jesus. And let me tell you, the only way to stay right between now and that moment, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because if you get stuck looking at the suffering and the struggle and the strain and the stress of it all, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. All the joy is going to go out of life. 
all of the joy is going to go out of your soul, and you're going to be one miserable person. Did you notice in this passage not just what Jesus endured, but what he enjoyed? There's joy in the midst of it all. Oh, yes, there is the joy. The Lord will be your strength. Look at verse 2. Who for the joy that was set, what, church? Before him. And look, the cross was not, was not joyful, but there was joy on the other side. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Listen to me. Whatever you're dealing with right now, don't you get stuck on that. You keep your eyes on the finish line and the Christ you're about to see. Hey, friend, any moment Jesus is coming. A trumpet's going to sound and a voice is going to shout out and we're going to be taken out of here. I'm excited about that. And the only way to stay right to that moment is keep looking to Jesus. And here's the beautiful and practical thought. Watch this. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, no matter what you're called on to endure, you can have his joy in the midst of that. I still believe God's people ought to be the happiest people on planet Earth. Somebody say, these are troubled days, preacher. These are They are troubled days. But maybe Christian people need to stop talking about how bad the world is and start talking more about how good God is. Matter of fact, go back to Hebrews 1 with me real quick. Just turn back a few pages. You're in the same book. Go back to Hebrews 1. Let me show you something about Jesus. Everybody gets this idea he's some melancholy, morbid, miserable man. No, the exact opposite. This is all about Jesus. Verse number 8, But under the sun he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, watch it, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. I tell you, Jesus was the most joyous man that ever walked the earth. And I tell you, the people that live the most joyous lives are the ones that keep their eyes on Jesus. I know, I know, I get it, I know. There's a whole lot we can't understand and see right now. I don't know what's going to happen in our country. I really don't. Everybody wants a prophet to tell them, you know, what's about to happen. I, I can't see that. It's hidden from us. We don't know all of that. There are many questions that I have, but I'm going to tell you one thing I can see clearly. I can see Jesus. Turn one page. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now, mark this expression, we see not. We see not yet all things put under him. We, we don't see the end of all of this, but look at verse 9. Oh, thank you, Lord, for verse 9. But we see Jesus. Would you mark in verse 8, we see not, and in verse 9, we see Jesus? You're going to have to be content to not see some things as long as you can see Jesus. And here's what's beautiful. When you keep your eyes on Christ, Christ clarifies everything else. It was a blustery winter morning in London. Charles Spurgeon was just a boy. He was walking to church by himself that morning. Now, you know the name Spurgeon because he gets quoted a lot. I quoted him already today, the Prince of Preachers and all of that. But this day, he's just a kid, just a kid, and he's lost. And he's driving, walking through a driving snowstorm. And it was so bad, he thought, I'm not going to make it to the chapel where I'm going. And on the street where he was, there was a, a little chapel with a door cracked. And he heard something on the inside. And he stepped in to an old, if I remember correct, an old Methodist church. And he sat in the mezzanine. 
They said there was less than a dozen people there that day. In fact, the weather was so bad, the preacher didn't even show up. And a deacon. An old man of the church who was not a minister and frankly was not much of a public speaker took it upon himself to share something from the Word of God and he walked up the steps and stood behind the lectern that day and he read his text from Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And somewhere in his talk, he caught the eye of a young boy sitting in the mezzanine of that old church and he stopped. And he said, young man, young man, you look miserable. And you always will be miserable. Look unto Jesus and be saved. And Charles Spurgeon would later say, that was the day that I looked. And I could have looked my eyes away, he said. Because that was the day he caught a glimpse of how wonderful Jesus is. Oh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Remember nothing else. Remember nothing else I said. But remember this. Look to Jesus. Our Father, I pray today that unbelievers will look and be saved, that some backslidden Christians will look and be restored, and I pray that all of us will look and worship. Oh, help us, Lord. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we sit very still and quiet before the Lord for a moment. I want to ask a couple questions. Would you be an honest person? No one's looking but this preacher. How many of you know, I mean 100% sure, you know, it's settled, that you've received the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you've been born again, you know you have a real relationship with God and you're ready to go to heaven and there's no doubt about it, that's settled. I want you to lift your hand toward heaven right now. Would you please, big and high, keep it up. Say, I know it, preacher, no doubt about it, I'm saved. Would you thank him right now, just right where you sit? Would you lower your hands and would you just say to Jesus, thank you for saving me? Would you walk by Calvary again today? Get a glimpse. Some of you could not raise your hand and I want to thank you for being honest. It's very dangerous to lie to God. Very dangerous. He's the God of truth and he already knows. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, would you tell the truth again? I'm not going to embarrass you. This is, there's no trickery in it. I'm not going to make a spectacle of you. I want to pray for you. It's why you came today. It's why I'm here preaching today. It's what the Lord is up to today. Would you be honest? How many people in this room would say, Preacher, if I died right now in the next 60 seconds and stood face to face with God, or Jesus came today like you're talking about, I am not 100% sure that my sins have been forgiven, that I have a personal relationship with God, I don't know for sure that I'm ready to go to heaven. But I know this, I don't want to be lost. Preacher, pray for me. I'd like you to slip your hand up in the air with mine long enough for me to see it. I thank you, sir, for your honesty. Who else? Pray for me. And I thank you for your honesty. Ma'am, God bless you. Who else? Pray for me. I'm not sure. Yes, I see you, young lady. Thank you. I'm not sure. Pray for me.
If you just raised your hand, nobody in the room's looking but this preacher. Would you do me one favor? Would you just lift your head and look at me for a moment? I just want to talk to you. Thank you. I like looking people in the face. Thank you. Would you just look this way? I want to talk to you for a moment. I want to tell you something. I don't know any of you. God loves you. He loves you just like you are. He loves you with everlasting love. And He loves you so much, He gave His own Son to die for all of your sins. It's amazing, isn't it? And watch this. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's, that's the good news. And I tell you, I'm not asking you to trust me today. Remember, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I'm not asking you to trust this pastor or this church. I'm asking you today, would you put your faith in Christ? Here's the verse. Ready? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I'm asking you right where you sit, not to get baptized, not to join the church. Would you right where you sit? You're trusting that chair, aren't you? You're sitting on it. Did you check the chair out before you plopped down in it today? I doubt it. We just sit down in faith. I'm asking you, would you depend on Jesus in that way? Put your whole weight on Christ today. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer that you can make your own. A prayer of faith that you can pray right where you are at this moment. You're not talking to me. I'm not your priest. I'm just, look, I'm a sinner like you are. I need Jesus like you do. You're talking to God, and God will listen. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that? I'm going to ask you a question before we pray. Do you believe what the Bible says about Christ? Do you believe the Lord died for you? It's wonderful. Do you believe that? It's wonderful. Do you believe that? That's wonderful. Then there remains but one thing, and that is for you to personally open your heart by faith and let the Lord be your Savior. Would you do that? That's wonderful. If you will, right where you are, I'd like you to join me in this prayer. Would you bow your head with me and all over this room, anybody, anybody that's listening that needs the Lord, would you pray something like this from your heart to God? You make the prayer your own, but you believe on the Lord. Would you pray right now, sir, ma'am, young lady? Dear God, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself, but I do believe Jesus died for me. And I believe He rose from the dead. I trust you this moment, once and for all, to be my personal Savior. Forgive my sin and come live in my life and take me to live with you for eternity. Thank you for saving me. Help me be a true follower of Jesus. From this day to the day I see you face to face. Our heads are bowed. No one's looking. The Bible says if you believe on Christ, you won't be ashamed of it. The day I got saved, I couldn't wait to tell somebody. It's wonderful. It's the greatest thing in the world to know Christ and know your sins are forgiven. So I want to ask who in this room today would say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer to the Lord or something like it. And from my heart, right where I'm sitting, I'm settling this. I'm trusting Jesus alone to be my Savior. And I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand in the air with mine right now, big and high. You say, that's me. God bless you. And you, and you, and you, and you.
And you, God bless you. Keep your hands up just a second, would you please? Every one of you, just keep your hands big and high. Would you, with your hand raised, would you look at me for a second? I want to congratulate each of you on the greatest decision you ever made in your life. Now listen to me with your heart for a minute. I will not embarrass you. I don't know what you've been used to, but I will not embarrass you, and this church will not embarrass you. I'm about to ask lots of Christian people to come and have a prayer. I don't want you to get lost in that shuffle. The pastor, his wife, the associates, they're right here. I want somebody to have a prayer with you and give you something to take home that you can read about knowing more about following Jesus. That's it. We will not make a spectacle of you. I give you my word. But each of you that called on Christ today as your Savior, somebody here wants to know so they can encourage you in the race to go on with the Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it really easy on you. Pastor, would you stand right here with your Bible? There are men and women, by the way. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady pray with you. If you're a man, we'll have a man pray with you. But each of you that raised your hand and said, I've called today on Jesus to be my Savior, what I'm going to do, I'm going to count to three. When I do that, nobody else is looking but this pastor. I'm going to ask you to leave your place and come shake his hand. And by in doing so, say, today I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. And he's going to have somebody pray with you. And then, quickly and quietly, we'll get you back to your seat. I believe you mean business or you wouldn't have raised your hand and you wouldn't be looking at me. I'm going to ask you now to take a step of faith for the Lord. One, two, three. Would you come right now? God bless you. And you, wonderful. God bless you. Sir, did you call on the Lord? Come and tell us. I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. Personal workers are here to pray. Men and women with Bible in hand and ready to help. Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't it tremendous to see people come to Jesus? Nothing in the world like it. Nothing in the world like it. Praise God. Who else? You say, I need to be saved. Sir, did you call on the Lord today? Come and tell someone. Let us have a prayer with you to encourage you. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you have questions. You want to talk to somebody. You say, I'm not sure of something. Well, come let somebody talk with you. Nobody's going to put any pressure on you. We love you. We want to help you. It's wonderful. Now, I have this question. Is there somebody here today that would say, Preacher, I'm saved, but I'm away from God. I'm, I'm one of those backsliders you were talking about. I've gotten away from the cross, away from where I need to be as a Christian. And today, I got a fresh glimpse of the Lord, and I know He's drawing me back to Himself. Preacher, I'm a Christian, but I want to get thoroughly right with God today, and I want to be close to God again. Pray for me. I want you to raise your hand big and high in the air with mine. You say, I'm a Christian. That's me. God bless you. Would you leave your place right now? The pastor's standing right here. Would you just leave your place right now and come say, I want to get right with the Lord today. I'm a Christian, but I want to be thoroughly right with God. God bless you, sir. Who else? Just leave your place. I'm telling you, it's time to do business with God. Who else? God bless you. I want to be right with the Lord. There may be somebody here today who needs to be baptized or somebody that wants to put their life and influence in this church as a member of this church. I want you to know the invitation's open. The pastor's here waiting. And at any moment in this time of prayer, you can come. But now here's my invitation. It's for every Christian in the room. Are you ready? I'd like to know today how many believers in this room would say, Preacher, I want to get my gaze fixed on Christ again. I want to get my eyes off people and circumstances and myself and back on Jesus. And if God will help me, I'd like a fresh start of just looking to Jesus in my own life. And I want to start today by just worshiping Him and telling Him how much I love Him. Preacher, 
that's me. I want you to raise your hand toward heaven right now. You say, that's me. Well, here's our invitation. God bless you, sir. Here's our invitation. In the Bible, you don't see people praying, sitting down, lounging. You see them either standing in the presence of the Holy God or kneeling in reverence. So I'm going to count to three in a moment. When I do, I'm going to ask every Christian in the place that will join me in looking to Jesus this morning and worshiping God. I'm going to ask every one of you, if you're physically able to do one of two things, and if you can't stand or kneel, God understands that, and so do we. But if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. I'm going to ask you, if you're able to kneel, to find a place to kneel. In the altar or at your seat, I'm going to ask you to get on your knees and talk to Jesus. He's been talking to you, hasn't he? And if you can't kneel, then I'm going to ask you to stand and make your prayer standing. And this morning, let's all recommit ourselves to the Lord and ask God to help us live our lives looking to Jesus. On the count of three, you find your place of prayer. One, two, three. Quickly, quietly, would you find your place to tell God what you just told me a moment ago? To thank Him for saving you. To tell Him you love Him. And to ask Him to help you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Whatever's troubling you, whoever you're dealing with, bring them to Christ today. Bring them to Christ.